1: The most interesting thing is, is when you leave a cult, there are people that have already left like maybe two to three years before you. And then you go and of course you associate with them. You say, okay, this is, I know this person in the outside world. And then it becomes a whole nother little community a little bit. And so that was something I noticed that Even three years after leaving the official cult, it was like, I was still trying to break free from that.
2: Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora.
3: Welcome back to The True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora, and I have with me on today's show, Beth Hennessy. She is a musician, and she is an author, and we're going to talk about her upcoming fiction novel, Called the Sector One, which is inspired by her own true story. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the True Hi. Fiction Project.
1: Hey, Renita. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so
3: great to have you on the show. And Beth, I am so intrigued because I met you through a totally different world—the world of fitness—and in Malibu, you were teaching a bar class. Several of them, in fact. Yes, and. I don't remember, but we got started talking and then you told me about your fabulous and fabulously intriguing past, which has inspired your book. So diving right in. What is it about your past that inspired it?
1: You know, I thank you once again for that amazing question. And it was just amazing to see your light and meet you. And you and I got talking about how your past does not have to be your future and that beautiful concept of me as a someone that did grow up in a cult but yet to have that power and that love and that energy from what i went through translate to other people as in you know passing on that message of you don't have to be where you grew up. And you don't have to bring all that baggage along with you, whatever that might be. So I think that that is something that I have brought from my past. And that is what inspired me to write a something where I could get through the emotions of what I went through without naming off people and having it be a memoir. I wanted the freedom of fiction and being able to pass through that channel of letting go of my past. And so I just really appreciate that you were willing to bring that to the forefront and, and show people that, you know, yes, everyone has a story. And sometimes sharing that story can be such a powerful tool to reaching people. And look at us, you know, just talking my story and mm-hmm. has brought us together and that's what I've found in talking about my story is that everyone has that thing in their past or whatnot that we all have to move past, <laughs> Yes, for, for lack of a, lack of a better yep. way to say it.
3: For lack of a better way to say it. <laughs> well, Beth, the good news is we are all about the stories. I mean, that is the premise of this show. This is what it's all about. And so many of the stories that we discover here are inspirational, for all of the audiences who listen and learn Mm. and imbibe and so on and so forth. So your past, you grew up in a cult. So here are some very basic questions. Mm -hmm. What is a cult? How does it work? Why is it different to growing up in this household, whatever this household might be?
1: I think what, and I learned this after the fact that we had even grown up in what the outside world would call a cult, I think what made it a cult for us was the fact that we were meant to marry with inside the cult. There was a fence around the compound, and it wasn't like that I could go out and go to college that we grew up to work within their business their you know and so I think for as far as like the definition of a cult, there was one main leader who, for me as a kid, it was all about trying to please and find how to dampen myself right so make myself not as bright and because anything that is bright you know is a threat to someone so that kind of mind games and that you know the constriction of that area and within you know marrying within that like I think for us that that was kind of what classified us as, oh, yeah, you know, you come out into the outside world and you're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I didn't realize that this was happening to me. But uh,
3: so, yeah. So as you talk, as I listen to you speak, Beth, I'm reminded in many ways of my own childhood. I grew up in a pretty conservative household. We were expected to marry within the community. Mm. I wasn't fenced in, but I felt Mm -hmm. fenced in, especially Mm -hmm. when I hit the teenage years. I felt so fenced in. Uh, You know, it was no joke. So a cult, I mean, what is the purpose of its ideals and its rules and its regulations? Is it to sort of control the purity of blood, or, you know, why do Mm -hmm. they choose to live this way?
1: You know, it's amazing that you bring up this question because this is what inspired me to write about it. I just started therapy um, about a year and a half ago, two years now. But my therapist Tiffany Smith had said, if you ask why and the curiosity behind those scary closet doors that you don't open because you think that somehow that's going to be a better option than, you know, just diving in and asking and being curious about it, going into those places and saying, why, you know? And I think that that is what really helped me bring light to the situation. But I think for us, it was sneaky. And that is what is the scariest part for me, is that it was open. My mom was an outsider. She came in mm. and, you know, about, I, I don't know how many years later, but it just became more and more and more closed, more resistant to the outside, more resistant to honest feedback towards the leader. And mm. so I think that that is what for me is, is a little bit, interesting, you know, just seeing how slowly and progressive they're over every decision that you make more and more and more intimate decisions, right, are viewed and judged. (laughs) So yeah, I think for me, that's something that I've learned from our past is how slowly and we lived as a community, right? We had Hmm. a big garden in the center. But those gardens were on display that you could see everyone's garden and everyone's how good they were doing, you know? And so I think it was, everything was communally based, like we worked, you know, from a young age in that community-based thing. So I think in that way, you see how it has a great start. Let's come together as a group of people and work together and, you know, something like that. But, you know, as soon as one person starts saying, you shall, you shall not... That's where that that beauty of expression and creativity, and I hope that answers your Interesting. question.
3: Interesting, yeah. So you mentioned so many things, Beth. Mm-hmm. Therapy is something that you could argue everyone in America or in the world perhaps needs yeah. just to get over yes. the families wherever they came from. But I can begin to see why you know coming out of a cult it is so necessary. You mention a sense of sneakiness, a mm-hmm. lack of independence community-based living, which could be on one hand good or have sort of good seeds, but Mm -hmm. going to that lack of independence, you mentioned that if you questioned anything or said you shall, then you get into trouble. So the leader of the cult, who was the leader? What did he or she stand for or ordain? And why was everybody so eager to please him? Or I should ask you, why were you eager to please him Mm -hmm. or her?
1: Well, I think this is something that when you were born, so I was born into it. And my father came to that at seven years old. I started as a boarding school and he was a former military man. And so he ran his boarding school very strictly. And by that mantra, if you will, you know, of discipline and stuff like that. And so I think it's interesting and it's something that I explore in, in the fiction aspect. My questioning mind is that you see it generational. So it's something mm. that my father, you know, his parents were teachers at this boarding school. And then you see to where he wasn't allowed to call his mother and father, dad and mom. It was teacher so-and-so or what? whatever the terminology was for that. And so when I was born into it, I'll tell you one of the stories that we uncovered in therapy that just blew my mind because it, it plays to this, the crushing of creativity and beauty and all of this. Like my mom told me this story of when I was young, I was, I think, three years old and she had bought me this little dress and it was one of those dresses Unfolds when you spin, right? And it unfolds Mm -hmm. and it's got this full, beautiful skirt. And so my mother was talking to the leader's wife. The leader had a wife who actually scared me more than the leader himself. So the leader's wife and my mom were talking. And here I am, this little kid, probably three years old, and I'm spinning and I'm just swirling side to side and I'm watching the skirt float up and go in circles. And the leader's wife said, you've got to watch her. That's a sign of vanity. And I was like, and after hearing my mom say this, because my mom, my parents have been very supportive in so many ways of me finding healing from what I went through. So my mom offered up this story of like, in my adult life, I've had an issue thinking that beauty was evil and that success was evil, and all of this type of thing. And so it was, she helped me understand, like, this is what you were, this is the thumb that you were under. And the sad part is that my parents were under the same thing, you know, because then they think, oh, my gosh, my child is, is going to be vain and be worldly, Is that? Is they, the word worldly was what they would use very often, like, of the outside world. And... So you see this generational guy coming Mm -hmm. from the military. And I don't know what his intentions were about making a boarding school that would teach kids a good education, discipline, whatnot. And then it just it morphs into something where people stopped leaving. They just they saw him as a good leader and then they stopped leaving the boarding school, because you know a boarding school, you come to school for however many years, and then you go on with your life.
3: Mm-hmm. and
1: you've you take what you've learned and you've become something you know, better, hopefully, you know, through schooling and learning from someone wiser. Well, I guess that once again, that sneaky aspect is just people stopped leaving. Mm.
3: yeah, it puts a hold in spin on leadership, dictatorship, fundamentalism, yep. you know, whatever words yes. you want to ascribe. To this behavior. Am I to understand? Real quick question, Beth. Mm -hmm. Am I to understand then that your father, coming in at the age of seven, has known no other life?
1: Yeah. So when we left in 2001, and he had never been living outside of the cult his whole life, I think he was what, 45 when he left. And I actually got us. Kicked out is what the term knowledge they would use. Uh, and, okay. So yeah. you all left as a family,
3: you mm. and your parents. Do you, do you have siblings?
1: Yes. I'm the oldest of four and they okay. tried to separate us. And that's a whole, nother, <laughs> a whole nother story. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Yeah. But you all managed to leave. Yes.
3: Because of you. So what were the circumstances around that?
1: You know, it's amazing that people will ask that question and I try to explain it to people that ask for better, lack of better way way to say it. And it's just like, it sounds so small when I say it, but it was basically, they had asked me to do something. And of course I couldn't say no, you know, it was a reading from scripture or something like that. They had asked me to do this and I was not the greatest reader at, you know, when I was young. And I was to read in front of the whole community. And that was like really scary for me. And I had done it one day and they asked me a second day to do it. And I basically trusted one of my friends, one of my girlfriends that I worked with. And I said, why would they ask me to do this? In a sense, I was defying them by him by saying, why would they ask me to do this? This is stupid. <laughs> and, um, oh, and so she reported me and you know, It brought everything down to where our whole family was kicked out. And what they loved to do was separate families. And they said, you know, you can have, this half of your family is still holy enough to stay. This family, which was me and my mother, Mm -hmm. have to leave. And yeah, and so we'd seen this happen for years and my father had seen it for years. And so the way they presented it was like, oh, well, why not Beth go and just live with her aunt outside, which would have been my mother's sister. Mm -hmm. And my dad just said, hey, honey, something that you would like to do. And he was asking it very openly, just like presenting his 14-year-old daughter with this, would you like to do this? And I let this guttural cry. I've never made it ever since, that noise. And I was just thinking, because my family were always a very tight knit. That was our safe place. We could talk about things without fear of being reported. And so when he asked me that, it was like, is dad going to break up our family like we've seen for years? Mm -hmm. And he heard me cry out like that. And he was like, absolutely not. Nope, nope. He says, I swore to myself I would never break up my family like I've seen happen with other people. And he's like, nope. That's not happening with mine. And so we all left. How old were you
3: at that point?
1: So I would have just turned 14 or 15. Yep. So I was in there till I was 15, was born into it. And then the most interesting thing is, is when you leave a cult, there are people that have already left, like maybe two to three years before you. And then you go, and of course, you associate with them. You say, okay, this is, I know this person in the outside world. And then it becomes a whole nother little community, a little bit. And so that was something I noticed that even three years after leaving the official cult, it was like I was still trying to break free from that extended um, community. Yes, and those beliefs. Coming outside of the cult, Mm -hmm. I have
3: to ask for you specifically, or certainly for anybody else in your family, your parents, your Mm -hmm. siblings, if you know, how hard was it to adjust to the normal world? You mentioned, you know, these preconceived notions that you were trained into things like beauty is evil Mm -hmm. or, you know, wearing a pretty dress might be considered vanity. Were these struggles that you had as a person in the real world outside the cult?
1: Oh, yes. I still remember the first moment that I truly broke free. And it was actually over a boy, a boy that is now my husband. And the community outside the community didn't approve of him, you know, because he wasn't holy enough for them. And I was like, this boy makes me feel like I'm home and that I'm safe and that he's going to love me no matter what. Mm -hmm. And this was like within the first couple months, I already felt like I was home. And so I remember choosing him over what people thought, this outside community thought. And I just remember sobbing, you know, because it was like, and I'm not a big crier. And it was like that release of you know, those tentacles that just enwrap you when you try to leave and have your own thoughts and your own opinions to things. And so the beauty is evil. I, to be honest with you, I am still working that. And Mm. that is something that's that foundational. Those are building blocks. Like, like for me, that's one of the main reasons I went to a therapist was like, I can't see my success. And when we started digging, It was like, well, of course you can't see your success because you still think it's evil or you still think money is evil. And you like, so all of these things. And this is what's beautiful about healing. If you never unwind or split the hair in half and figure out like where the top of the hair or where the top of that belief started or where it, you know, you never get to the bottom of it. It's for someone that has had trauma, you can just say, well, just get over it. Well, I don't know how like I don't have the tools until you have someone that knows how to unwind and unknot all of that tangle of you shall do this you shall you know this is bad this is good so I think that healing with a professional or healing with someone that is able to help unwind things and get to the bottom of things is just paramount to yes you know moving forward
3: (laughs) well if you've been born into it and it's been sort of you know imbibed into you at every single layer it's how do you even begin and where do you even begin to split that Uh hair in half that is not easy that cannot be easy so I completely have total respect Beth for all that you must be unwinding trying to unravel now (laughs) in the later years thank
1: you yeah, thank no, you. thank you.
3: So, you know, of course, we all want to see where this is going in fiction. But before I ask about that, I have to ask,
1: where is this cult and does it still exist? So the, the cult started in New Hampshire and it later moved to eastern Canada. And it does still exist. But a few years after we left, One of the first things I saw on television was the towers falling. I'm just going to add that little. (laughs) I was like, what is this buildings that are falling, burning on TV? It still exists in eastern Canada, but they have opened up a lot since he died. And I just went to a wedding that I hadn't seen members since for years and years and Mm -hmm. years, 20 years. And they just wrapped me up in a hug. And so it's amazing that even you know healing can happen in something even if it still exists, you know? So but it it does not exist on that same strictness. So
3: yes. Yes. Long ways to go. Long ways yes. to go. Yes. Do we know more about the book, Beth, when it's going to be out, where it's going to be or anything that you would like to share?
1: Yes. So I am finishing final drafts right now before it goes out to agents. And I have already had a professional editor in New York City, just give me some really great feedback on ways that I can make it more real to myself a little bit. And it is fiction, but I am also someone that knows what the emotions of being in a confined space is it was inspired by me asking why, as you mentioned, you know, the why behind it. And as soon as I started asking the why, it just led to the what if I had grown up in a, I won't give away the ending of the book, but Mm -hmm. it is very interesting. And when I told my dad about it, he was like, oh, I like that aspect of it. You know, that what if it was a, you know, I'm not you're trying to get me to give away spoilers so Yeah, okay, okay. Something else. What if it was something
3: else? <laughs> no spoilers. Yes. Well, Beth, yes. thank you. Thank you so much for that. I can't wait to hear the piece and of course, it is set to some of your original music which is just added icing on this cake. Beth yeah. Hennessy is the author of The Sector 1. Beth, thank you so much for being on the True Fiction project.
1: Thank you, Anita.
3: And I am your host, Renita Hora. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. got
1: my head in the stars, wondering where you are. A Good Samaritan by B. Hennessy Walls, walls, they stand grey, they stand tall From the outside looking in Not even a good Samaritan would think to break in Tall, tall stands that gate that never falls From the outside looking in Not even a good Samaritan would see the need to break in Small, small, the captives smile, the captives wave Every morning passing by Not even a good Samaritan sees the truth that hides within. Lies, lies that the captives swallow, they're taught to follow. To question their leader is a sin. He says even a good Samaritan is a danger to them. Cry, cry, don't be weak, the leader does teach. So I smile, yes I wave, and watch as a good Samaritan smiles and walks on by. Wrong, wrong, I shouldn't wish, I shouldn't pray that someday soon maybe a good Samaritan will take me from this place. Jump, jump, hopscotch, skip, I want to win, but I shouldn't be good at anything. The leader says that pride is a sin. Shine, shine, I mustn't shine, so I'll hide my light, I'll become nothing, like sand inside a good Samaritan's eye. Why do they never see? Why can't they ever see? Cry, my tears run dry. Fight till there is no more light. Good Samaritan, please look a little closer as you pass by. Walls, walls, why are they grey? Why are they tall? Every morning I pass this way, but today I slow my pace. Have I been a good Samaritan just walking by? Tall, tall, why is the gate so tall? There they are, like they always are. Those captives smile, those captives wave. Have I been a good Samaritan, not thinking to save? Forgive me, forgive me. Today I see, I see, your counterfeit smiles, your broken waves, your shoes all tattered and gray, the hollow beneath your eyes, your light behind a cage. Now I see him, watching, he's always been, proudly watching me be, a good Samaritan just walking by, as if watching all his teachings come true, a good Samaritan won't see the truth within, so the captives smile, the captives wave, I'm a fool, a fool, he's fooled me like he's fooled you, he told you I was an outsider looking in, that I was evil, a danger to you, he probably told you I didn't stop, because no evil he did commit. Proof, proof that he is right, that you should keep your mouth closed and hide your light. Forgive me, oh forgive me, I didn't look close enough to see. I should have stopped long before. I have been a good Samaritan, just walking by. But today is that day I see you and you see me. I won't let him have another night, another day of your light. What is your name?' I'll hold your hand through the fence as they break down the tall gray gate. Close your eyes, close your ears. Don't be afraid. I'll hold your hand as you walk through that gate, free. Walls, walls. He'll be put where he belongs, behind a tall gray gate where he can never put another cage over your light. Shine, shine, now you're free. I learned my lesson. I'll keep my eyes wide. For you, I can see. For you I will speak, so that I won't be a good Samaritan that unknowingly walks on by. Now go, little one, shine your light, for all the world to see. This good Samaritan will never forget, how you smiled, how you waved, while behind that cage, be free, free, for all to see. Shine your light, shine your light. I
2: still think about you. i
3: Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact.
2: Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com.